the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, in particular, we could talk about what just happened in Ukraine-Russia and why did we fall for it. I said yesterday it's a buying opportunity. I didn't know it was going to be a one-day buying opportunity. I didn't know it was going to be a five-day buying opportunity, but it was a buying opportunity. So that's nice. Despite the Ukraine crisis, you know, the macro trend is very much still, so still your friend. Now we'll focus on Ukraine as a failed economy versus a potential takeover by Russia. Eh, it still could happen. Putin's one of those people that you just can't really put a, a finger on, in my opinion. And because of that, I, no game, no, no gambling, no, no bet for me. So too much of a wild card. Um... I hope that makes some sense to you. And again, that doesn't mean I'm not having an opinion. It's just saying that I'm being passive about believing in what, you know, consistency should come from that world leader. Obama's going to offer new tax breaks for workers in the election year budget pitch. That's pretty interesting. This is going to be a big story today, but it's going to be a bigger story come election time this year. Republicans Republicans are well poised to take some uh, seats back in the Senate, according to polls. And again, it's a long time from there. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to win back all of Congress, but it looks like they have a chance. Uh, you know, a small chance that it is, but that would make President Barack Obama a lame duck president. And, you know, I don't know what side of the Wall Street you fall on that... Gridlock's good, or, you know, we really need to start addressing some problems, but it would look like a lame duck presidency. I've been living it. President Barack Obama's going to impose an expansion of popular tax credits for middle class and working poor Americans. Um, this is coming out today. He's also talking about the creating automatic retirement accounts known as IRAs for some 13 million workers. That has very little chance of getting enacted. I think anything that promotes saving for retirement is a good thing, and I would vote for it whether it be a Republican, a Democrat, a Martian, or even if Vladimir Putin were to say it, I would endorse any automatic savings for Americans tied towards retirement. So the budget signals a shift away from last year's big emphasis on deficit cutting, and it's going to be really pronounced focusedly on poverty reduction, a legacy-oriented goal the president's highlighting as he faces three years left in office. 
So how do you do that? It's probably the most effective way to give money back to people, to get them spending in the economy, is the Earned Income Tax Credit. It's an anti-poverty measure that's meant to encourage low-income Americans to work. The expansion would cover some 13.5 million people who do not have children. It would also make the program available to younger workers who are not currently eligible. So potentially if you have a low-paying job with very few hours, you would get a little extra money sent your way by the United States government. That expansion of that tax credit would cost about $60 billion. Um, It could be funded according to the budget scenarios that are being proposed at this point in time. Um, The carried interest profits earned by wealthy investors who run private equity and other funds. Uh, The budget also puts an emphasis on saving for retirement. So back to that carried interest thing. That's something Wall Street's not going to like. Both Republicans and Democrats have talked about closing the loophole on carried interest, essentially allowing someone who invests in small companies, someone who helps incubates them, instead of paying capital gains tax, they're paying a very, very low, about 75% differential in taxes. So do you want, and again, this is the damnation game. I personally want people out there investing capital, to create companies that create jobs and rewarding them with, okay, you created jobs and those jobs are going to pay taxes. So you get the benefit of a smaller tax on you. If you take away that incentive to make tons of money and replace it with lots of money, you may take away Google. You may take away something that doesn't get incubated. So, again, is that drama drama as as serious as it sounds? I don't know. I don't know. And, again, is there a right answer? No, of course there's not a right answer. Just like in relationships, there's no right answers. There's just compromises. So the S&P 500 is up 21 buckaroos. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 181. NASDAQ's up 62. One stock that is getting schwacked today is Radio Shack. To me, schwacking is a term that basically, well, I'll let you figure it out for yourself. Let's just say it's not good. So what went wrong at Best Buy? The fact that I was, or Radio Shack, I'm sorry, Radio Shack. So they're closing 1,100 stores. They're down 15% today. There's $2.30. Uh, they're closing 1,100 stores, leaving with about 4,000 left. I can tell you exactly what went wrong with Radio Shack. It's a store that's been passed by. It's a format, a merchandise misc. It's a fiscal presence that no longer registers with Americans in any way, shape, or form. There's just not enough batteries in the world to recharge Radio Shack as far as the way that they can fix themselves. It needs to go away. The stores are outdated. If you want to see a vintage consumer electronics store from the 1990s, you don't have to go to a museum. The Tech Museum in San Jose, nope. So if you go into Radio Shack, there's some of the most tired-looking, antiquated, out-of-fashion stores. If you were to compare them to Apple, you'd go, geez. Is geez short for Jesus? Or is it just geez? Radio Shack. Radio Shack needs to revamp merchandise. That's another problem with what they have. They're mostly selling cell phones, a category that's nothing but saturated in the world. Seriously, you can buy a cell phone on the corner today in San Francisco. Why didn't Radio Shack go more so into tablets or satellite or internet radio? It carries one 3D printer on its website. 
they could have been a pioneer in this category. They could have shown it off in their stores. They didn't. Employees are pretty much so clueless. They don't do a very good job of training their employees. They may be the most intimidating, least female shopper-friendly of all the collections in history of retail. So Radio Shack failed for a reason. And I'll even give you one more reason. The online business isn't promising. Amazon's cornered the market for online commodities, so Radio Shack clearly missed a once-in-a-business-lifetime. It's over. Over? Nothing is over till we say it's over. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. And it ain't over now. It's over for Radio Shack. You could run up the right flag. Um, can they get acquired? Can their 4,000 stores that are there, can they, can they survive? Yeah. But, and this is the big but, I can't lie. Will it ever be relevant? No. Can they be acquired? Yes. But that goes into the if this and buts were candy nuts or what a party would have. So you got to pass on this one. Again, you look at it and you go, man, this used to be relevant. One of the things that we're going to look back on in history is some of the sales flyers that Best Buy produced. They're pretty damn funny. If you look at them 10 years later, they used to sell pagers for like $400. They had computers for $3,000. So, And that's one of the problems that Radio Shack hit. Technology gets smaller, cheaper, faster every year. And the sales points go smaller. So it used to be able that they were able to live a couple of years off the fat that they sold. Now there ain't no fat. Hey, find me online, robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I put up a video or two a day of my work in television. You can find it at Rob Black uh, Show on YouTube. Pick up the phone, give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Approach so Bloomberg Market Minute. You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Qualcomm increases their quarterly dividend 20%. This is a company that has tons of cash, which is Irish for tons of cash on their balance sheet. Um, they basically sell a technology that goes in cell phones. So they're pretty well positioned, consistent with their commitment of returning capital to stockholders. They're pleased to announce a quarterly cash dividend and stock repurchase authorization. They've done well with an operating standard in technology that was 3G and 4G. How will they do with 5G? Every G has been a significant improvement and a move towards what was driving the Internet at that point in time. So check out Qualcomm. Uh, It's one of those tech companies that's a little bit on the boring side. It's a stock that I talked about about a year ago on the show when it was in the low 60s, high 50s. It's now at 76. Um, and I liked it because of the cash on hand. 
and the dividend and, and share repurchase that never happened, never happened, never happened, never happened. Oh, it finally happened. So, what else do we need to talk about today? 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. We need a presidential budget today. Woo! That's going to be interesting. Again, how much time does he have to shape his legacy? That's what the second term of a presidency is typically about. Apple CFO is retiring at the end of September. Wall Street seems to be almost rewarding that move today. Now, again, we have a day where the markets are up, but... Apple's up, you know, three bucks on the news. Eh, I guess it's not up that much at this point in time. So the SP 500 is up 23. The Dow's up 193. The Nasdaq up 67. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online, newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. Let's talk a little asset allocation. It is two words put together that we know in the investment community. Some of us know it better. Some of it more intimately. What's asset allocation mean to you, Chad? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's talk about what it doesn't mean, because I think it's a term that's really misunderstood. Okay. Um, a lot of people that start investing think asset allocation means that it's always being in the right asset class all the time and shifting from one asset class to another, which is really the same thing as, as day trading. Now, you want to do a little bit of that once you've accumulated a portfolio, overweight and underweight in different areas, including cash, which is an asset class. But really what asset allocation means is, you're trying to build a portfolio to achieve a certain goal with the least amount of risk possible, knowing that you're going to be wrong sometimes, so you still continue to hold on to certain asset classes, um, like small cap, like emerging markets, which will have you know kind of a three steps forward, two steps back type of a process. And do you look at – some people would look at asset allocation, stocks, bonds, and real estate. Do you look at small caps and international like you just brought up? Do you look at that as a sub-asset class, or is it a totally different asset? It's, it's, a, it's an asset class. Okay. So I think that there's times like, during uh, the big part of the credit crisis, we steered clear of small caps altogether, for example, uh, because of the risk factors that were involved. But we didn't like doing that for too long, so we still own a, a piece of small cap, which started off 2012, for example, the first month, with, with big gains, for example. You you just want to maintain a certain exposure to these asset classes, and, and there's more than this stocks, bonds, and real estate. Within stocks, you've got the large cap, mid cap, small cap, but you also have different management styles between value and growth or even just dividend growth investing. You also have uh, commodities that have to be a part of your portfolio as well, and there's a whole slew of alternative investments that people should be getting, you know, taking a look at and becoming educated on within the alternative asset class space. There's managed futures, which is another way to get into currency and commodities. Okay. There is funds that deal with merger and acquisitions. There's funds that deal with what's called kind of the buy right area, which is really covered calls. So it's a way to get into the market with creating income on, on, on different stocks. And there are types of portfolios where if you're trying to find a spot where I don't want to be in cash, but I don't like where bonds are. I don't stocks maybe feel a little overvalued. You might look get into funds which hedge with the downside. There's funds out there that mirror the S&P 500. They sell covered calls to create some extra income, and they use that income to buy protective puts, which means you have upside exposure, but it's limited. Right. And in trade-off, you have limited downside risk as well. All of those are different pieces that go into asset allocation. The, the idea is that. Every year in the market, you have something that's doing good. So if, if you're trying to compare your portfolio to just the S&P 500, and the S&P 500 has a roaring year because of tech and financials, for right. example, you're going to underperform a little bit in the good years. But you're going to outperform a lot in the bad years. That's what asset allocation is really about. Seven out of ten years are positive. Three out of ten is negative. It's a three out of ten 
makes a big difference. That's the math behind asset allocation. Before we get into that, um, comic books, asset, a- asset or not? Um, is, as far as collectibles? Yeah. That's yeah, kind of where I'm I mean, getting at. It, it can be. There. I'm sure there's been some successful comic book collectors out there. Okay. And um, how about art? Do you look at art as an asset class for the wealthy, for the poor? Should people be buying it? Should they not? Yeah, for the wealthy, because typically, you know, there's there are obviously some people that happen to purchase a painting 30 years ago that they didn't realize was going to be drastically. Um, but you got to be good at picking yeah. paintings. It's and art, like being good at picking stocks and picking mutual funds. You got to be good at that that unique skill as well. Right. And art art went through a pretty big bubble. It, just like any asset class, it goes through bubble times. So it's correcting at this point in time. But typically, it's kind of one of those things where in order to be good at accumulating the art that's going to make you money in the long term, you've already got to have a lot of money. I'm with you. So and uh, the idea on that is they're not making, you know, if, if it's a dead artist, Leonardo is not making more art, so to speak. Uh, I could drop that conversation because I'm going nowhere with that. But let's talk about the math of al- asset allocations. What do we need to know? Well, it's really creating consistent returns because the first thing you have to look at is is the game of math. It's the downside that makes a big difference. So if you drop 50%, you have to hit how much to break even? Uh, 100%. Right. I know that, but most people don't. So that's that's the thing. You you have to focus on on the 10-year average return. Don't don't really look at the one and three year average return. It doesn't make as much difference. It's the 10-year average return. So if you're trying to compare, let's say you're trying to go for a large cap growth manager. You make sure that the manager's been there for the entire term of the track record, 10 plus years. You look at the standard deviation. So if you're comparing two funds, you would want the one with the best 10-year average return, the lowest standard deviation, and the most consistency, uh, and maybe even the lowest beta if you're trying to get to funds that are, are less less volatile as you get close to retirement. So standard deviation, beta, and the consistency of returns is, helps you, you know, understand the math behind asset allocation. Asset allocation and much, much more. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com or find his website, chadburton.com. Coming up, I'm going to be speaking with the one, the only Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. If you have any questions you want me to fire at him, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. We have an up market. The whole Ukraine-Russia scenario has kind of cooled down. Um, the SP 500 is up 23. The Dow is up 198. The Nasdaq up 69. Another Bitcoin bank bites the dust. This time, $600,000 of currency lost for people after last week's Mount Gox or two weeks ago Mount Gox disaster, which was considerably more sizable in the loss to people. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. And your money on AM twelve twenty KBOW and iHeart Radio Station. They say actors like to hang out with actors because there's that like common thread of we do this for a living and we don't really need anything from each other. But I personally like to talk to market people. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. 
Um, no, I just brought up a funny concept that you and I are kind of like market news junkies kind of things. You're probably way smarter than me, but do you ever find like your non-market friends, they look at you like, what's a good stock tip? <laughs> well, you know, quite a bit actually. And, uh, in, you know, my purview is, is, is more, you know, macro commentary. And so when I kind of start probing a little bit and they start talking about some of these, you know, big issues, they kind of glaze over and then just decide that they're going to go find their uh, individual stock tip from somewhere else, I think. But, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's part of the course. You know, when someone asks you what you do and you tell them you're a stock marketing analyst, um, you're invariably going to get that, well, you know, what's a good hot stock for me, right? Yep. And it kind of runs counter to uh, pretty much everything that, you know, I tend to preach, which is more long-term oriented. When someone asks that question, it's, you know, it's basically a, all they're saying is like, how can I make money in a hurry? Right? So there's not a lot sure. of people that say, hey, you know, where do I need to be for the next 10 years? It's like, how can I make 100% in the next 10 days? So um tend to kind of maybe politely defer the, the question and, and, uh, and go on to talking about things that friends talk about. Yesterday was a big political risk today on Wall Street. There's earnings risk. There's currency risk. There's headline risk. Yesterday was a big political one. I got on television. I said, people, relax. If Warren Buffett says he's buying, you two should buy. What was your take on the first day, the Monday, not today, but Monday on the Russia-Ukraine scenario? Right. Well, you know, my perspective was that, you know, certainly if there was no actual uh, force involved, you know, where you're shooting, you know, bullets and dropping bombs and things like that, it was an issue that, uh, to me anyway, I felt that the market would be able to see its way through. Um, You know, one of the kind of shock values of yesterday's activity is just that, it was a geopolitical item that was not on the short list of any um, you know market pundits outlook for 2004 when it came down to talking about you know this very uh, uh, always present geopolitical risk factor you know when it came down to that people were talking about more about Middle East issues territorial tension between Japan and China you know some of the disruption in Venezuela but I don't recall ever hearing anything about Russia invading Ukraine as being a major geopolitical risk and so it was it was a new element and so what we saw was the market react to that new source of uncertainty in a very typical fashion where you get some knee-jerk selling but I think one of the other things that was really lost in the mix though is that the market was certainly ripe for some type of pullback regardless of what was happening in Russia the S&P 500 had gained almost 8 percent in 16 trading sessions um, and to put that in perspective, I was looking at some data on FactSet yesterday where the, the average annual price return for the S&P 500 going back to 1929 is just over 7%. So in 16 trading sessions, you know, the market accomplished basically what has been its average annual price return dating back to 1929. So it was certainly overextended. And when you get a headline like we saw uh, yesterday, certainly, um, there was a lot of just uh, urgency to take some money off the table and wait to see how things settled down. So do you think the Russian situation is behind us? Are we back? To, I'm not going to say smooth sailing, but is the, political, is the risk of the market kind of like getting smashed behind us? You know, I think uh, with respect to the Russian-Ukraine situation, uh, the market is going to fall back on its same uh, safety valve it, it did 
you know, last year certainly, in that it's not expecting the worst-case scenario to unfold. I think the fact that there's been uh, that Mr. Putin so quickly tried to defuse things, if you will, by uh, drawing the troops back and, and acknowledging that he doesn't have a plan to annex Crimea and, and uh, you know, and is not inclined to use military force. I think that, you know, the market is cognizant that the actual military battle, you know, where you would have Western forces coming in to combat Russian forces, that that's the worst case scenario, that that's not going to unfold. And, and, uh, and so I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in this area. I have to admit that. You know, I mean, it is there's a lot of politics obviously behind it, but um, I can look at what the market's doing today, and I can uh, acknowledge that what the market is doing today would suggest that it's not fearing any type of worst case scenario unfolding there. How about the worst case scenario, Mr. O'Hare, that's unfolding for Radio Shack? Do they? Do, do we need them? Or is Amazon and Best Buy just totally taking everything that was once? Best uh, Radio Shack, right? Well, you know, I guess some people need them. I mean, they have you know multi hundred millions of dollars of sales in a quarter, so it's you know it's not that they're uh, not hitting with some people, but the fact of the matter is it's just been mismanaged. I mean, their expenses are grossly exceeding their um, you know their their revenue and 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 their gross profit, and that's uh, obviously putting a major squeeze um, on that business, but. Uh, to to your point is you know when when I think when most people think of consumer electronics uh, when it comes to an actual you know big box retailer it's it is Best Buy um, and when it comes to online presence it is Amazon.com I mean I think you know Radio Shack you know has a branding issue for sure in this you know very modern world where smartphones are are you know omnipresent and, and it's all about wireless and and you're you know, just the the name itself, you know, Radio Shack, just doesn't, you know, resonate, uh, I think, from a branding perspective. So so they do have some issues that, that they have to work out. Next topic. Um, today's a big day. President Barack Obama's budget gets thrown in front of the public. Some parts will survive. Some parts won't. He's down to his last three years. New polls show Senate's maybe looking a little bit more Republican this time next year. Uh, what do you think about the budget and how this year plays out politically for Wall Street? Well, uh, from a political standpoint, I think you, you've hit the point of uh, of impasse again, right? Because the midterm elections are getting just closer by the day, and uh, the president is coming out, you know, you know, with his budget proposal. And from what I've read already, it's it's going to basically be roundly rejected by the House, uh, the GOP-controlled House, almost immediately. And so, uh, and then what the GOP puts forward, I'm sure is going to be talked about as being rejected in the Democratic-controlled Senate. And so you're probably at that point where you'll eventually get to the issue of, you know, a continuing resolution issue um, further on in the year. But um, but I think with, uh, with those midterm elections coming up, I don't think either side is going to want to necessarily give in on some of these bigger uh, issues. And, and what the president's talking about is, is essentially, you know, some of the preliminary stuff is, you know, is trying to even out the income inequality, and and that obviously hasn't sold very well within uh, the Republican Party. Uh, and so you're going to get right, you're just going to have a, another grinding uh, impasse, I think, you know, as it relates to uh, to what's going to happen on the on the Hill this year. Economically speaking, uh, housing data came out this morning. 
anything in that data that you think stands out positive, negative, or just same old, same old, everything looks good? The housing data from uh, the construction spending data from yesterday or from – I saw sorry, but... home prices um, rose in January. CoreLogic came out with a report. So I guess it wasn't economic data as much as survey data. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the you know the issue with housing. Obviously, you've seen you know very nice price gains throughout 2013, and um, you know the issue now is 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 the affordability factor. You know, have prices risen so far so fast uh, that you know you're you're squeezing out. Um, you know those first-time home buyers, and and you know what we saw with the existing home sales data last week is that you were, you know, seeing that pinch. I think first-time home buyers, uh, you know, accounted for roughly 26% of, of of home purchases on the existing home sales front, and that's I think the lowest uh, percentage on record for that area. And so, so affordability is creeping in here as as one of the headwinds that uh, could limit some of that. Uh, you know, housing recovery uh, potential that we've seen build over recent years, and and uh, and slow things down. <laughs> excuse me, slow things down a bit here. We've got a couple more minutes left, Mr. O'Hare. Anything that you're working on that you think we should have insight into? Well, the the thing that uh, I'm looking at this week is is the uh, the non-farm payrolls report for February. Um, that'll be out on Friday before the open, and uh, and it could be that. Uh, piece of data that's an inflection point as it relates to the market's thinking on what the Fed is likely to do at its FOMC meeting in March. Um, you've obviously had two uh, consecutive disappointing non-farm payrolls reports, and so uh, we're going to try and get down to the bottom again to see whether uh, we're seeing more of a cyclical slowdown or something that's really just, in fact, weather-related. Uh, and uh, our contention at briefing.com, what our chief economist is saying, is that there's enough data out there thus far to uh, to validate the idea that we're in more of a cyclical slowdown and not just uh, one that's weather-related. So we'll be looking for more evidence of that within that employment report. As always, thank you for your time, Mr. O'Hare. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, briefing.com. Briefing.com is a website that has a plethora of information, um, whether it's screens on value, screens on growth, commentary on the market, international, domestic, day-by-day um, -day positioning. You know, Patrick O'Hare writes an article that comes out every morning that it's one of my first reads, if not my first read, to kind of say, okay, here's my cheat sheet. Um, with that said, again, big thanks to Patrick O'Hare and the people at Briefing. You can find out more about me at robblack.com. You can find out more about Briefing at briefing.com. I have a tweet line, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Take a break here. Be right back, Rob Black and your money. Zuckerberg's got drones. Drones. 
Facebook is reportedly in talks to buy a drone company called Titan Aerospace for $60 million. The idea is that Facebook could use the drones to bring Internet access to parts of the world that still need it. The drones are covered in solar panels, which store enough energy to lift the craft 20 kilometers above sea level. The drones can stay aloft for five years before having to land and refuel. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know what else to say about that. But clearly there's a Google thing going on. There's a Facebook thing going on. Google's plan is to use balloons to beam Internet access to countries that don't have the infrastructure for broadband Internet. It behooves Facebook and Google to get as many new people online as possible using their services instead of their potential rivals. So that's kind of what we know. Um, The drones that Facebook are looking at are the first atmospheric satellites powered by the sun. They're cheaper than orbital satellites, but have the same capabilities like weather monitoring and earth imaging. Or in Facebook's case, it would have the ability to throw internet into parts of the world that can't you know, put it into place. You know, I have one simple request, and that is to have sharks with laser beams attached to their heads. I think Zuckerberg's working on sharks with laser beams already. Isn't it interesting? Uh, You know, the billionaire Bill Gates, the billionaire Mark Zuckerberg. It's going to be fun, and that's going to be the only thing that I hate when I die, is that I'm going to miss the advances in technology. Because they're happening fast, and we take them for granted, you know. Back in 1991, if you take a look at a flyer for Radio Shack, um, and let's give Pat O'Hare all the credit in the world, just the name of the company itself, Radio Shack, says, go away. They were selling a Tandy 1000, 286-based PC. Uh, That's pre-386, pre-486, pre-Pentium, pre i7s or whatever they are now, um, $15.99. They had a camcorder, VHS camcorder, for $800. Deluxe portable CD player, $159. Oh, the old radar detector, 80 bucks. So the cell phone that still had a cord to it, mobile cellular phone that had a cord to its uh, station, $199. So... That's one of the things. Their glory days were the 80s and 90s, early 90s. And it's a company that needs to go away. And I'm sticking with that story. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, AutoZone beat earnings by $0.09. Cents. There's something to be said about retail tied towards automotive. Qualcomm announced a 20% increase to its quarterly dividend. They announced a new $5 billion share buyback authorization. J.C. Penney's, they've got an S&P, Standard & Poor's credit agency, raising their credit outlook to stable from negative. So that's helping that stock today. Oh, 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 les et les bons temps pour les. Happy, happy um, Mardi Gras. So, um, that's all I got for you. Lady Le Bon Tamboule. I know you're saying you do that oh too well. No, I don't. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. So, Obama offering new tax breaks for workers, um, earn tax credits. Uh, if you work a little bit, we'll subsidize you a little bit more. If you don't work, not so much subsidization. Tesla's up 2% today. That stock is Teflon. Um, I kind of.
kind of hope there's a day where it cracks in half, just because it'd be fun. But it's not happening. So I'll let you know when it does. Uh, $31 billion market cap. It's starting to, it's clearly running on the fumes that are big ideas and not necessarily earnings. You know, it's traded at 65 times next year's earnings. But if you had a chance to invest in Coca-Cola, Pfizer, Merck, you know, 100 years ago when they're selling snake oil. Now, again, for the record, I don't know that they actually sold snake oil. I know one of them did. But I'm not bashing the companies when I say that. But if you had a chance to invest in the early days, look back in hindsight, you'd be like, hmm, I did something pretty good. So is Tesla in the early days? Are they something that 100 years from now everyone will be still talking about and using? Good question. I don't even know if this plan's going to be around in 100 years. Like, I, I don't look that far ahead. SP 500 is up 24. The Dow's up 191. The Nasdaq up 73. Some of the stories of the day... Um, Obviously, Russia calling back troops that were conducting an exercise on the border of Ukraine have put risk assets back into play. Strength day in consumer discretionary, healthcare, financials, industrials, and technology. Weakness in energy, materials, utilities, and telcos. Taking a look at gold, it had been a flight to safety play. Oh, and by the way, SP 500, record high. Does anyone want to do a record high dance with me? Like an Allen dance? Like... Let's do 90 women dancing around and clapping their hands like they got some sort of rhythm that they don't have. Anyone want to do a, a happy dance with the S&P 500 with me? Anyone? 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 Oh, there we go. Da, 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 da. Um, probably one of the most offensive songs as far as caricatures of people go. So spread in the hate today. Rob Black and your money. S&P 500 up 24. Happy days. Happy times. Record highs there. The Dow's up 191. The Nasdaq up 73. Okay, have you not learned that Obama budget, inflation, deflation, Kim Jong-il-un, Putin, that they create opportunities? I hope you have. Love your partner. Love your spouse. Um... Don't stress about the headline risks. You have no other opportunities. Done. This is Rob Black. Your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Take a break here. You can find me online at robblack.com. Find me on Facebook, Crowd4 Rob Black. Make a difference in the lives of users and should not be construed as legal. And your money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. S&P 500 is up 25, Dow's up 202, the NASDAQ up 74. Probably the fastest I've ever got to the numbers just to be fun. Record highs. Record highs, people. 
Come on. Are you with me? Record highs. We've lived through Putin, and all I got is this stinking T-shirt. We've lived through Gulf War One, Gulf War Two. We've lived through, I was going to say, Saddam Hussein. I was going to say something else, but no. We've lived through Pol Pot. We've lived through World War One, World War Two, Korea, uh, Vietnam, Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Presidents getting assassinated. Record highs. There is no better investment in the stock market. None. Keep in mind the word is investment. 100 shares of SP 500. You're at an all-time high right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 202 today. 16,370. Snapback rally. Uh, Putin basically made some comments easing the Ukraine's tension. Uh, He pulled back some troops. And he he said, maybe uh, force will be the last resort. So he's still keeping the option open. So again, we can go right back down down 3% pretty fast. Um, President Barack Obama, he's offering some new tax breaks for workers. He is introducing his budget today. How much of it gets through, how much of it doesn't. Sometimes it's a little bit of a, let's put this in there knowing that it's not going to get through. But maybe we keep something else. The big controversial points are closing of the carried interest r- loophole. Closing the Social Security Medicare loophole for the self-employed. Automatic contributions to retirement accounts. $302 billion in infrastructure spending. I would like that number even more if there wasn't so much fraud and waste in government spending. I love infrastructure spending. In large part, it puts my favorite people back to work. People that swing hammers. I can swing a hammer. I enjoy a little, you know, uh, work. How shall we say it's a little more blue-collar. I've got the jeans that show my butt crack. Like I, I got, I'm, I'm blue collar. I could do it too. So Obama, new tax breaks for putting people to work. Three hundred billion dollars in, in infrastructure spending. Uh, I take uh, 101 to work every morning, and one of the parts that I drive by is Oyster Point, I believe. And there was a crack fissure in the road that was so nasty. I was like, please don't ever let my tire hit that. I'm in the third lane, so every day I, I do the same drive, and every day I, I, you, know, you can start doing the drive in your sleep, right? Knowing that in the last week that that's been closed up, I'm like, ooh, sweet. I can get to work a little bit easier now. I don't have to worry about a pop tire or a crashed car. A little less, if you get the idea. So I really like infrastructure. The easier it is for people, to, and again, let's say you do get a pop tire, right? Do you know how much our economy suffers when there's a traffic jam? When you're just sitting there idling and eating gasoline, it hurts. So it takes away from our world, per se. Um, Americans borrowing record amount to buy cars. This is a little bit troubling. Again, I'm a little bit older I'm, uh, uh, than I was when I'm in my 20s or 30s. And, you know, your first car in your 20s is like a $20,000 car. And then everything gets more and more expensive in your life. I'm a big used car guy. I have no shame. Now, I guess I have a little bit of shame because I'm telling you, I'm justifying why I have it. Uh, I'm wealthy, and I still want to save money. When I see the story on cars, listen, this combination of higher prices for new cars and relatively low rates means Americans are borrowing a record amount of money. So as interest rates go higher, people will be able to afford a lot less cars. So this may be the zenith. This may be the peak of expensive cars in the United States. 
if you believe that a year from now interest rates should be about 1% higher. So according to Experian, the average car, the average amount borrowed by car buyers last quarter was $27,000. It's the first time it's ever been that high. Now, it's not surprising people are borrowing more because cars are more expensive. If you look at the popular segments, they're full-size pickups and SUVs. It's hard to find one of those models now fully loaded for under 30000 The average auto loan, $27,430. That's an increase of $739 over 2012. The average car loan was $345 higher, coming in at $17,974. Um, if you have a non-prime credit rating, i.e. 620 to 679 they had the highest average loan. Um, most people, the highest monthly payment is $499, and that's going to go above 500 And again, you only have so much paycheck, because we're not seeing paychecks inflate as fast as we are borrowing costs, whether it be for our house and or for cars. Facebook's buying Titan Aerospace for about $60 million buckaroos, obviously trying to get into the throwing out of Internet content or throwing out of the Internet infrastructure from the drone angle. These drones are able to fly for five years in the sky, powered by solar power. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. U.S. home prices rose in January after three months of declines. A tight supply of homes helped boost prices and offset sales slowed by cold weather. Snowstorms, 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 and low temperatures contributed to a drop in sales of existing homes in January. So housing construction has faltered a little bit recently. The average rate on a 30-year mortgage is about one percentage point higher than it was last spring, which means costs are higher to borrow. Radio Shack is failing. They're closing another 1,000-plus stores. Expectations were about 500, but comparable store sales down 19% year over year. I've said it once. I'll say it again. If anyone ever sees me in a Radio Shack, I will give you $10,000 cash. All you have to do is come up to me and say, hey, aren't you Rob Black? So the stores in... Radio Shack are outdated compared with modern new stores. And again, go to a mall if you haven't been to a mall and take a look at what stores look like these days. Radio Shack's merchandise is all wrong. They're still focusing on phones when, you know, people want tablets, internet radio, satellite, uh, 3D printers, any area where they could be a leader, they're not. Um, It's probably one of the most masculine shopping experiences ever. You know, I guess if you are on a car trip and you're, Apple charger dies, need one, that's where you go, but it's not your first choice, and it's only on the, I've got no other choice because I have no other choice. You know, Mt. Gox went offline, and um, Bitcoin site, another one, bites the dust now. $600,000 of Bitcoins stolen. The Bitcoin bank Flexcoin posted a note saying they were attacked and robbed of all coins in the hot wallet. They don't have the resources, assets to come back from this loss. They're closing their doors immediately. Mt. Gox lost only $480 million of Bitcoins due to a weakness in its system. Like, okay, so go put your money in Bitcoins. You know why? Because I believe that no one who's reasonable will do it. You do it, you lose your money, and then it's Darwinian for me. One less dude with money in a world inhabited with women. You just upped my Darwinian currency. I appreciate that. 
So, not a lot of other big stories. Apple CFO is retired at the end of the year. Transition's going to start in June. He's coming out in September. Same as Peter Oppenheimer. He's senior vice president CFO. He's going to be replaced by Luca Maestri, vice president of finance and corporate controller. So, Apple's revenues have grown from $8 billion to $171 billion during his guidance. He would be what's referred to as a pretty solid player in their lineup. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Find me on Facebook, Cron4 Rob Black. YouTube, Rob Black Show. AM 12. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Happy upbeat music. Just take you where you need to go. Hopefully you have a good day at work. Please note that your job is one of the most important things that you have. Your ability to earn income is is the number one thing you have from age twenty to sixty. The stock market's probably the number two if you're saving inside the stock market. A lot of people are like, but I've got good looks. Those will fade. Your ability to earn income is the most important financial tool that you have. Just play with the numbers here. You know, If you make $100,000 a year, you make a $1 million in 10 years, you make $4 million in your investment life from age 20 to 60. So if you make 50000 you make $2 million. You tell me, can you live off $2 million to $4 million? Maybe. But you're not, some of that, most of that's going to service your lifestyle, right? Your ability to earn income is critical to success or failure. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show. You can find me on Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. We have an up day in the markets after yesterday's down day. We are at record highs on the S&P 500. Again, nice. Putin blinked yesterday. S&P 500 up 25. The Dow up 212. The Nasdaq up 74. Joining me now... CFP Chad Burton. We all know how to accumulate wealth. Well, no, I'm not going to say we all know, but we got the general concept to accumulate wealth. When do you start drawing down on your IRA, your individual retirement account? Well, you have to start drawing on it on your IRAs, 401ks, um, even not on Roth IRAs unless you inherit one, but at the age of 70 and a half. So what you actually have to do in retirement prior to your asset allocation planning is do your income and tax planning. Okay. So what happens is you end up with a certain amount of money in taxable accounts that kicks off dividends and interest, and it's going to be a tax issue no matter what you do. Then you have your Social Security and, and or pensions and rental income. So you have to calculate what your taxes are automatically, regardless of whether you take the money or not. Because if you have dividends paid to you on your stock and mutual fund portfolios and your taxable accounts, whether you spend it or not, it's taxable income. So what I like to do is say, okay, how much is my automatic taxable income, and how much more can I take out of my IRAs right away once I retire 
in order to stay at the existing tax bracket. And in fact, on newfocusfinancial.com, there's a there's kind of a, a short shortened version of the long longer term retirement boot camp that I do that shows people how you allocate things once you've done that tax planning. So what you have to do is change your thinking. A lot of people put off as long as possible taking money out of the IRA, but what you do is say, how much can I take out of this existing bracket? Um, because there's a scenario that I show where you can have well over $100,000 of income and still be at a 15% federal bracket if you do it the right way. So always think about how much can I take out. If you don't need to spend it, convert it to a Roth IRA. Um, so 70 and a half is the forced rule, but you want to pre-plan and control your taxes over the long term. And what you do in terms of your income planning and how much you can pull out of your IRAs goes back into your asset allocation. The thing that I like about this is it's really not up for argument, and a lot of people have come up with their own rules, and they make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you want to be – I think you're leaning towards the word efficient, Tax efficient, tax efficient income planning. It's it's a really a longer term view of your tax planning rather than a shorter term. Some people take the short term view of saying, "What's the least amount of taxes I could pay this year and next year?" Right. Right. And they don't realize that if they do that in the future, they could increase their tax burden drastically, instead of trickling the tax burden out over the time over time. Um, so it's it's really important to to do that. And also, you know, it's it goes back into how you should invest during retirement. And that's where certain assets should be held. For example, in retirement, you typically want a lot of your normal, your corporate bonds, things like that in your retirement accounts, right. kicking off interest, paying you um, right away rather than being deferred. Let's go back in time, though. Let's go back to when you're 20, 30. In your IRAs, do you want income? Do you want dividend stocks in your IRAs or do when you want them outside? When you're in 20, 30, what... What you want is growth. Right. You want to be dollar cost averaging into growth areas, so that means large cap, small cap, mid cap in the U.S., but also probably 25 to 30 percent overseas, with at least half of that exposure in emerging markets. So once you get done maxing, most people can't afford to max their 401k and and then invest outside of that. So all of that goes into your 401k. But when you start maxing out all of your retirement options and you have extra money to save. In your taxable accounts, that should be more of your longer-term, kind of broad, large-cap exposure. should be your taxable accounts. And then your small-cap, mid-cap, international, emerging markets, all of that should be held in your retirement accounts because they tend to have more turnover. Uh, when a foreign stock pays a dividend, it's not a qualified dividend necessarily in the U.S. So, again, you, you kind of want that in your retirement accounts. Um, so for younger people, once you are able to save outside your 401k, just you can look at some of the iShare, some of the core iShare ETFs, and buy those for free in, in, in your brokerage account. Back to the retired person and taking money out of an IRA mm-hmm. and efficiency doing it. One of the areas that I first learned when I got into the business many years ago was that old people don't like paying taxes. It was a weird statement. that Someone come, came up to me and was like, don't do any transaction. That's going to create a tax uh, liability for someone because old people don't like paying taxes. Yep. What do you think about that statement? Well, it's, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of, um, still a lot of people that live through the tail end of the depression that are alive today and they're very, very wealthy, but they just live off their social security and they literally will not draw on their accounts and increase their lifestyle because of that point, they don't want to pay taxes. So sometimes you have to sit down with them and say, look, you've got all this money in an IRA or an annuity or whatever you bought. And if you take it out over time, you can control your bracket and be under 
if you leave it to your children um, and you leave your IRA to your kids, you leave your annuity to your kids, when they inherit it, they're going to pay taxes at their bracket. They're still working. They're making a high wage. So you can talk to them about how you leave money and show them that your kids are going to pay twice as much in taxes as you are. So if you're that person that is in retirement and you have assets that are growing that you're not using, you're lucky enough to have saved enough to have assets that you're just going to leave to your kids, you've got to realize how they're going to be taxed because most people want more money to go to their kids and their charity than to Uncle Sam. Smartest financial planner I know, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Qualcomm boosting their dividend by 20%, adding $5 billion back to their buyback. Um, cat companies in corporate America are flush with cash. And that's one of the reasons I'm bullish. Another reason I'm bullish is capitalism. Get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Find me online at robblack.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money investing and more. My goal is, quite honestly, to get you to retirement and to help you stop getting freaked out. I find it sad and pathetic that people scare you in the financial world. If you're watching CNBC, shame on you. I refer to it as... I used to say financial porn, but I should probably say something that's a little bit more definitive. Financial porn meaning it's just a waste of your time. Go out and live. Disconnect from it. Learn. But I find CNBC to be kind of like the church of what's working now. Bloomberg's a little bit better. I mean, Bloomberg's a lot better. But I don't think people, you know, register that in their head and say, I don't need to know what's working now. You know, again, the markets are at an all-time high. The one lesson I'll teach you right here, right now, is markets are at an all-time high, and we've been through everything. Let's make a political joke here. A lot of people don't like President Bush. They thought he was a little bit dim-witted. We survived President George Bush. We survived Clinton and his, uh, how shall we say, dalliances. True. Um, Obama came in with pledges of change, change, change. I'm going to work with everyone. This could be a totally different presidential um, office than it's ever been, and that was a failure. I've been living it. So those are just the last three presidents. Um, I think you can go further back in history and go, you know, we had the governor of California who was on a TV show with a monkey uh, preside over the United States. This market's seen everything. It's seen, like I said, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam. It's seen everything. It's seen good economies. It's seen bad economies. It's seen dot-com economies. It's seen dot-com busts. 
So that's something you have to get comfortable with, um, in my opinion. Let's talk a little bit about investing in the concept here. You invest in companies. Right there, you should invest in companies that you know a little bit about. Should you invest in Oracle if you have no clue to databases? Probably not. Should you invest in Salesforce.com if you don't have a concept of the cloud? Probably not. And yet, I'll tell you right now, if I have a massive heart attack today, Mark Benioff is one of the CEOs that I would study. He's in the right place. Amazon.com has got Jeff Bezos. What happens if he passes? Is there anyone on their roster that can fill his seat? I like share buybacks. I like great dividends. Great dividends are, again, to put in derogatory terms, it's like a nice set of teeth. Young man meets a young woman. They decide, like, hey, this is going to work. Let's check out baby potential for both of us. She's looking at him. Is he the breadwinner? Is he not the breadwinner? Can he hold a job or is he going to stay at home and play South Park, the video game, all day? He's looking at her and looking at the birthing hips, looking at her mother. And you kind of decide, like, hey, we are a match. You're looking for a trait. I like great dividend stocks. Dividends are a trait of a winning investment. To me, the payout ratio, the percentage of annual earnings paid out in dividends, um, when you get cash from corporate America, you get cash from corporate America. And if it goes up or down, it doesn't matter. You got your cash. Now, you could reinvest it in the company or you could put it on your own balance sheet. You know, the historical average of what percentage of annual earnings paid out is versus what it is now, it's not good, but corporate America has cash. Now, I like dividends. I can't lie. Verizon, 4.5%. Annualized five-year dividend growth rate, 2.9%. It's long been high-yield champ for investors who want current income with yield above the S&P 500 2%. Verizon faces heavy expenses for network upgrades. They're going to have to go 5G at some point. 5G is supposed to be launched in South Korea for the next Winter Olympics. It should be pretty standard. I Don't quote me on that. But I think that's the case. I think South Korea is going to be the first nation to really roll it out. So Verizon and AT don't have the best dividend growth. They've raised their payouts well behind the payout of the S&P 500. But it's high and safe current yield. There are you know, doubts about the dividend growth going forward. I think McDonald's paying 3.4%, well above the 2% the S&P 500 is paying. Again, is McDonald's growing? No. So it's an income play. Can they refigure out their growth? Maybe. Their Mighty Wings were a mighty disaster. I'll do it myself. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. So McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Walmart, Procter Gamble, they've been amongst the most dependable dividend stocks in the last 30 years, but they all have competitive pressures now like they've never had before. So it's not a sure thing. Philip Morris, my dad died of cancer. I had to bury my dad 20 years ago. Tragic. He had five boys and a girl. He didn't get a chance to see many of his grandchildren born. Tragic. Tobacco is a controversial investment. But at a 4.7% dividend yield, yes, please, yum, yum, give me some. 
They make cancer sticks. They literally make sticks that give you cancer that people puff on. Philip Morris International is a play on America exporting cancer. I love it. 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 Current dividend yield, 4.7%. Now, do you really think I love it that much? Probably not. But I'm saying if you were to close your eyes and look at balance sheets, you'd be like, whoa, that's pretty respectable. Now, Altria is their U.S. division, and I'm not so much an Altria guy. Philip Morris signaled last year that earnings would be weak in 2014 because of some reduced risk tobacco products, including e-cigarettes. They're going to dominate the e-cigarette market, which, again, I'm not going to say Darwinian, but man with e-cigarette in his mouth compared to man next to me, 32 teeth, I think I fare pretty well in the old Darwinian wood chipper contest of who's got more cachet to stay. Seriously, shouldn't anyone who smokes an e-cigarette just instantly? You can now get an e-cigarette that plugs into your computer, so you're literally taking a drag off your computer. Um, how about another dividend player? Lockheed Martin. They make weapons of mass destruction. They make massive weapons. I guess maybe not mass destruction. Then again, I probably won't, wouldn't want an F-35 tracking me down. Pretty intimidating, pretty scary if you ever get... You know, Fleet Week's coming back this year. Lockheed's payout ratio has risen from 23% in 2008 to 50% a day. They still have room for dividend growth, and they're yielding 3.3%. Not a bad place to hide. Above average current yields, strong dividend growth prospects. Um, if you think our government, and this is the sad part about our government budget spending, when the military gets hit, they're going to cut employees, they're going to cut soldiers. You're still going to see the Lockheed Martins get their big contracts. Maybe not as big. But reducing the size of our force on the ground is an instant cash savers. Increasing our technology gives us a technological advantage. With that said, I don't think Lockheed Martin's going anywhere. Um, CVS Caremark, they are growing their dividend at a great rate, 29.3% on a five-year. Now, their yield's not that good, 1.6%. But when you quadruple your payout ratio since 2008, it tells you that there's a clear message that we're rewarding shareholders. Besides running the drugstore, CVS is a leading manager of pharmacy benefits for healthcare providers. They bought Caremark in 2007. When I go into CVS, I hate it. I don't, <clears throat> I don't feel comfortable. I know you're saying, you're a snob. Yes, I am. When I'm with the deranged people of my hometown who are trying to get a pack of cigarettes. I don't feel like it's not the shopping experience that's the, the truest for me. But then again, when I've got a cold, when I've got something flu-like, first place I go, CVS. So the company's been you know, boosting their dividend. Huge. It's only yielding 1.6%, but they've been boosting their dividend like it's going to grow more. They've figured out a way to return cash to shareholders. I like it. There's a company called Reliance Steel. What do you think Reliance Steel makes? Pharmaceuticals. No, no, no. Of course not. They make steel and aluminum. Um, there's not a lot of players here. They've been boosting their dividend at 27%. The company's grown phenomenally via acquisitions. The dividend yield's modest, but the pace of increase has been dramatic, a 230% jump since 2008. It's a cyclical business, which means recessions, it's going to hurt. So if you think we're going into recession, not the company for you. If you think we're going to expand, it's the company for you. 
Now, Reliant Steel isn't sexy. For the record, I own Facebook, I own Apple, I own plenty of sex. Plenty of sexy. I brought sexy back, just so you know. Um, rapid dividend growth potential. And potentially the stock has a play in an improving economy. How about Baxter International? It's a biotech medical device company. They supply hospitals, you know, uh, medical device solutions. They're a big name in the home dialysis services overseas. They're very dividend with it. Uh, they're very uh, generous with their dividends. They've raised their payout 88% in the last five years. So current yield is low, but rapid growth potential. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Bob Black, bringing sexy back to the stock market and dividend stocks. I'll be here all day. Don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses. I'm Rob Black. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I want to make an app just so I can run around screaming I made a nap. I'm not much of a tout. A lot of people don't get that about me. Is like... I find people that put their high school tassel in their car like, hey, living in the past. Their college degree. College degree on the wall, eh, not so much. I very much so believe in living in the now. And it's the only way to keep yourself grounded. I want to keep a little bit of an eyeball, and I refer to it as a hairy eyeball in the future. Um... I'm not really big on the past, the past of the past. You know, yesterday I told you, hey, this correction by Putin, it shall pass. Doesn't mean they won't get out of hand. Doesn't mean that it doesn't lead to World War III. I don't think it does. I think it creates buying opportunities. I'm always looking for buying opportunities. S&P 500 is up 24 today. Record high. All-time high. Now, again, you can look at the banking crisis in 2008 and go, out of chest, Wall Street. Well, you're wrong. The facts are the facts. The facts are the facts. That's the fact, Jack. S&P 500 up 24. Dow up 206. It's a big day. NASDAQ up 73. Something I kind of want to talk about a little bit is Warren Buffett. Because he comes and goes to the news. I find him to be incredibly refreshing. Kind of like water after big run. Um, I think it's nice. I hope more and more people take the time to really try to figure out, you know, what it is that is so important about Warren Buffett. In large part, I think you could learn a lot 
on simple investing. He's made mistakes. He's made an $870 uh, million mistake. He made mistakes with TWA, Teeny Weeny Airlines. His rules for investing, he highlighted six rules. His annual letter to shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway, it's out there, it's published. I highly recommend it. He talked about the fundamentals of investing, and this is gold to me. You don't need to be an expert in order to achieve satisfactory investment returns. That's one rule. But if you're not an expert, you must recognize your limitations and follow a course certain to work you know, reasonably well for you. Keep things simple. Don't swing for the fences. When promised quick profits, say no. His next big rule is focus on the future productivity of the asset you're considering. He said if you don't feel comfortable making a rough estimate of the asset's future earnings, just forget it and move on. You don't have time for this. You don't have the, the ability to suffer the investment penalty for lack of knowledge. You have to understand the actions that you undertake when it comes to investing. Another rule for investing in stocks, he said, if you instead focus on the prospective price change of a contemplated purchase, you're speculating. If you instead, instead of focusing on productivity, if you're focusing on the prospective price change, you're speculating. So if you're saying, I want to get 100% return, I want to get 30% return, you're already showing your cards that you're an amateur. There's nothing improper with being an amateur. He says, I'm unable to speculate successfully. I'm skeptical of those who claim sustained success at doing so. Half of all coin flippers will win their first toss. None of those winners has an expectation of profit if he continues to play the game. And the fact that given asset has appreciated in the past is never a reason to buy it for the future. I love this quote from Warren Buffett because I think this is good for relationships. I think this is good for business. I think this is good for salespeople. I think it's good for moms, dads. He says, games are won by players who focus on the playing field, not by those who are glued to the scoreboard. Study the playing field. You look at a good soccer game, and you'll see that the true artists of the game, people like Messi, use the field to their advantage. Gretzky used the ice to his advantage. You know, Gretzky always said, you know, go to where the puck's going, not to where it's at. I highly enjoy, you know, taking Saturday and Sunday off. I don't talk stocks. My phone goes off. Forming macro opinions or listening to macro or market predictions of others is a waste of time. There's someone out there who recently sent me their portfolio, and he's like, yeah, look at what the portfolio manager said. It's, you know, all these negative things are coming. There's a guy named Hart, Harry Dent who's predicting Dow 6,000. Keep in mind, he's predicted Dow 30,000. He's predicted Dow 20,000. He's predicted Dow... Like, he's out there. He's in the business of selling books. His opinions mean nothing. He's more wrong. He's more often wrong than right. He's not a professional in the world of the stock market. He's a guy who is a professional author. He deals with data. He crunches data. I won't listen to his noise. I'll continue to look around and see what's working and what's not working. I'll start there. I'll look at labor reports for sure. Those are the two important areas for me. Labor, employment, unemployment for sure. Then, you, of course, you, you have to look at unemployment. You have to look at government spending and taxes. You have to look at, uh, you know, baby boomers. Are they a sector that you want to play around with, or are they a sector that you want to ignore? Millennials, are they a sector you want to play around with, or are they a sector you want to ignore? Number one reason to buy a car right now is technology motivated. So 
I hear that. I hear what you know the millennials are buying, and I see the ecology. I look at investing as a ecology. Maybe not one 800-pound gorilla, maybe a couple 800-pound gorillas. Who can they feed beneath them? How can they ultimately be put out? Anyhow, anyway, thanks for listening to the show today. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. You can find me on Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. You need to podcast this show or stream it live. We're streaming it live at kdow.biz, kdow.biz. And you can find me online again at robblack.com. Don't forget to listen to CFP Chad Burton, New Focus on Wealth Show, today from 1 to 2. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I need to control Internet usage in my office. Do you want to pay a fee for every user? No. Do you want to pay extra to pay? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.